Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, February 12, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 13 to 16. 13 to 16. I'm going to read those verses and uh, go ahead and give you the title of the sermon. Again, it's not creative, just straight from the text. And we are, especially with the first, first truth, we are a bit repetitive, but I think that is good for us. But here's the title of the sermon. It's about faith, of course, but the perseverance and the reward of faith. So there are really our two truths for today from the text. Starting verse 13. Speaking of Abraham and the patriarchs, particularly here. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they have, would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for these words, even that we just sung, even singing those extra um, verses uh, at the beginning, Father, that we don't normally see what a blessing they, they were to sing them. And then to sing, Be Thou My Vision, even as today, as Abraham and the fathers uh, in, the, in the Old Testament saints, and we're looking forward to you being their reward. And so, Father, so do we. You are our vision. You are our inheritance. You are our reward. Father, we give thanks. We are the most blessed people. Who in the world could pray such a prayer or say such words of truth except your people, who you are not ashamed to be called our God, even as the text tells us here in Hebrews 11. Father, we know that all this is true because all of your promises are fulfilled in Christ. Today I pray that he would be lifted up, that the gospel would be proclaimed, that he would be more beautiful to us. I pray that he would increase, that that I, that we would decrease, that we would learn more about him, that we would trust him more. Father, that we would be encouraged from the text and that in our applications particularly that we would live righteously and godly in this world. And uh, Father, we just pray that you would help us today, that your spirit would just Help our minds, illuminate our minds, and, and work on our hearts that our affections would be moved to love you more in the face of Christ. Pray that you would just take this time. Father, as always, I pray as I look at my own sin, pray that in spite of me, you would work greatly through the preaching and teaching of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I, I think these, this passage is need, need, we need this passage because it is about persevering in the faith and then looking forward by faith to a, to a reward. And so <clears throat> I have just two truths. Here they are. The first is faith perseveres. So that's number one. Faith perseveres. Number two, faith has a reward. And, uh, and again, we need these truths today. And we'll, <clears throat> so what I'm going to do, the first truth is going to be a little shorter as we continue to talk about that. And I'm going to hold off on some applications that will apply to that at the end. And, and two will be a little bit longer, <clears throat> but hold off until the applications particularly. But let's begin with the first truth from this passage we just read. The perseverance of faith. I think this is one of the overall applications from the writer of Hebrews. In all of the examples we get in Hebrews 11, he's being a good pastor. He's reminding those Hebrew Christians of the examples of their fathers, the patriarchs in the faith. Particularly looking back as how they, they pressed on. And they moved forward and they did not go back even during the midst of the, the most difficult circumstances in life. And they continued on even to the end and, and even says here until they died. And they did not receive the promises, but by faith they looked forward. Now, yes, we think about the promises of God. That's a, it's a big topic. But Abraham and Sarah, they did receive the son that was promised, Isaac, so they did receive that promise. But if we think back to God telling Abraham he would bless him in this covenant with land and descendants and all of these things, when, when they died, they had not received the land which was promised to them. They were a very small number, although they were growing. They were still a small number at that time, of Abraham and even Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the brothers there as we moved down into Egypt. But particularly with Abraham, they were still small in number. And God had already told Abraham that he would make their descendants like what? Stars of the heavens and the sands of the seashores. Can you imagine counting the sand on the seashores? Look at verses 13 to 15. These all died in faith. Verse 13. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them by, <clears throat> from afar. Now let's stop for a moment and think about this further. Here we see that the promise of God to Abraham and the patriarchs there is a, we might, the, wouldn't call it the, but it's a motivating factor in their continuing on in faithfulness in belief and in life. But it is not just the promise itself. It is belief in the promise that is waiting. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Go back there with me. Look there at verse 1. Faith is what? The assurance or the substance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So this is what the author means by greeted them from afar. They didn't see them yet. They greeted them. When, I, when you come to my house and I, I greet you, well, they greeted from, from afar. That's just a, a word picture there for us. They were looking forward to something that God had promised. And as they waited, no matter what the difficulties were, they persevered. And so for us, 
also the same principle applies. But just by way of, of illustration, I hope that everybody in here has certainly read um, C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't, maybe you've seen a couple of those movies, which are done, they're, they're pretty good. But do you remember the voyage of the, the Dawn Treader? That's probably one of my favorites. I'm just curious, show of hands, read the book or watched the movie? Good. And so I'll, if you haven't, and I'll explain a little bit about it. But my favorite character, and maybe some of yours, who would your favorite character be? Anybody start with an R? Greg's shaking his head. Reepicheep. He was the, the big, the little mouse. And he is the smallest of the, of the main characters there. But this young Reepicheep, this, I mean, this small Reepicheep, he is known as the one with the most courage. He's always the first to do what is right morally. I remember the part where Eustace stole the, the apple, and he says, you can't do that. That's against the rules. He does what is right morally. He is the first, when, we go, when they go into battle, he is the first to pull out his sword and attack. And <clears throat> when we get to the very end of that movie, we have Reepicheep there in the boat. We have Caspian, the king, and then we have the kids that came from, from London. And they come to the end, and there is this big wall of water, a big wave. And it is the, they say, and, and then Aslan comes up from behind, and they say, what is that? And Aslan said, that's, that's Aslan's country. And at that point, Aslan says, okay, kids, you guys are going to need to go back to London. I'm going to send you back there to your, to your world. But to Caspian and to Reepicheep, he gives them the option of going over into the land of Aslan. And so Caspian says, you know what, I'm going to be a a king and I'm going to stay back. And so he does not go over. But what does Reepicheep say? He says, I have longed for this country. And he lays down his sword and I think he he takes off his hat and he jumps in the little boat. And up he goes over into Aslan's country and he says my whole life I've longed for it I've seen it I I've greeted it from afar and then Aslan says to him that land was made for those like you and we could put that into our context those of faith and so the reason that Reepicheep persevered with courage and with patience and righteousness, do we not need courage to stand up, to live and do what is right in this life? Do we not need patience um, when we are working with ungodly folks and we're working with our own selves and our own struggle with our own sins and we're working with our family members and our friends and those some are Christians and some are not? We need all of those things. And so the principle is is there for us. We are looking forward. I'm going to talk about that more in the second truth. But we're looking forward by faith. And so by us looking forward to something, we're going to get to that, causes us to persevere in this life. And this is the example of Abraham that he gives in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, back to our verses. Look at verses 13 and 14. And having acknowledged 
this is Abraham again, that they and the patriarchs were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return to that land. So here the emphasis is on looking forward to God's promises as a means to perseverance. Their goal was God's promise and not just God's promise because we have much more than a promise and we're going to see that. Who do we have behind the promise? What did we just sing? Thou my inheritance. That's what we just sang. We are seeing the exact same principle that is here. We look forward to the promise, but we look forward to the God who is behind the promise. And that's what Abraham was doing. By faith in God and his promise, he did not return to the land of Ur. Remember, he came out of that pagan land. God called him out of that land. He did not go back. And so this looking forward, as, a, as the text tells us, for Abraham there, he was a, an exile and a stranger in the land that he went to in Canaan. He was looking forward to that land. And, and so we see that very clearly. And if we look back with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even at the very end of Jacob's life, where did, you remember where Jacob lived um, when he died? Wasn't he down in Egypt? And then he, he has Joseph promise him that he would take his bones back. Where? Back to the land of Canaan. And it had already been prophesied that they would come out and they would go back to that land. And so they were looking to Canaan for sure. But I think the text makes clear that they were looking forward to a city whose designer and builder is God. And so they were looking for a heavenly, a better city, a different land than the one they would have in Canaan. So again, more on applications in a moment. But that's the first truth for us, that we, faith, perseveres as we look forward to the promise of God. Now, second truth from this passage. Faith has a reward. So here we're going to spend a few minutes on the reward. Look at verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them <clears throat> a city. And I would ask you before I get into this to put on your thinking caps. We're going to spend a bit of time thinking through this a little bit as I see the text here. And so you have to hang with me for a few minutes, thinking about the reward and thinking forward about this City. So here the text says that we are waiting in principle, and they were waiting, we are waiting in God's promise for a better country, a heavenly one. And then it says, God has prepared for them a city, and that's in verse 16. So we see a, a better country, a heavenly one, and then a city. So if you think about the context of the writing of Hebrews, the Jewish patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were looking forward to a city, heavenly one, a better one for their reward, better than Canaan. And this city was not, as we've talked about in this text says, was not back in, been back in Ur of Chaldea. Otherwise, if their city would have been back there, 
they would have just gone back to it. Okay, so they weren't waiting for that city. <clears throat> and then, that's verse 15. And then later, if we think going forward a little bit, God will give, after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what will God do? He will give a city. We know the city. It is Jerusalem. And then, not only that, Jerusalem will be given a king and lots of kings with the land given, and then there will be a temple built there, which will be destroyed and then built again and then destroyed again. And, but we could argue that during the time of Solomon, there was no better city on the earth than Jerusalem, more glorious, beautiful city, the place where the temple was, the place where God dwelled with his people. But let me ask you, what kind of city was that city, Jerusalem? Well, hint. Here's your hint. And I've already said it. I've already alluded to it. It was destroyed at least two times. The first time around uh, 586, a bit there, and then completely destroyed with the Babylonians there in, in 586. And then later, it was destroyed again in 70 AD, or there, thereabouts, with, with, with a war that took place for quite some time as the Romans did it the second time. But why was it destroyed? Well, we could, there are a lot of reasons why it was destroyed, but it was destroyed because it was a man-made city. Man built that city. Think of the brick and mortar cities that men build in this world. I mean, much of Kannapolis, where I grew up, has, has been broken down and then built again, and broken down and built again, made it more new. Well, what happens over time to these cities that are built by man? They do not last. Why? Because they are of the earth. Now, just think about the earthquake last week. How many cities do you think, in essence, were destroyed? How many towns? I mean, most of those buildings, they can't even go back into, and they're just waiting for them to either fall down or another earthquake to come. But cities are destroyed now they may be rebuilt and many of the cities that are destroyed through things like earthquakes are rebuilt but at the end of the day they do not last they do not last this means I think that God is giving his people people of faith a reward that cannot be destroyed that is so important for us to understand it cannot be taken away from us. The reward that we've got coming and that, has, that we've got now in Christ, but the one that is coming as well, cannot be taken away. Things that are of, the heaven, of heaven, things of God, cannot be taken away from us. They cannot be destroyed. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so if we go back to our context in Hebrews here, the reward of faith is a city, also called a better country, a heavenly place, a heavenly one that cannot be destroyed, okay? So that's our foundational truth. Now with that in mind, so hang with me, I have three truths about this that will help us think through this going through. Truth number one, 
when we think about our reward, okay? We look at context of Hebrews, looking forward to Christ, us looking back, okay? Truth number one, this promise is fulfilled in Christ. Now, I think we all know that, but let's talk about that just a little bit more. Throughout the timeline of history, the Bible says that all God's promises are fulfilled in who? In Christ. All of them. We go back as far as we know from the fall, Genesis 3.15, the first promise that we have written down. All the way back then to the promise that we get in the New Testament of the consummation of all things in Romans 8. No matter where we fall in the timeline, Christ is still the one in whom all of those promises are fulfilled. Whether they're back there, or whether they're now, or whether they are future, they're all fulfilled in Christ. So as we look back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs we call them, the fathers of the Jewish nation, we see God fulfill some of his promises even in their lifetime, which we've already talked about. Prime example is, is Isaac, as he was the promised son. Then we see God start to multiply the descendants of Abraham. When we get to Moses, I forget how many people come out of Egypt. Some of you may know, but we have a lot of people, more than a million, coming out of the, the nation or coming out of Egypt. And then all of a sudden we have a great nation of people. With Joshua, the coming generations... God will then give them this land, the land of Canaan. Then we will see a little bit later, God will with Saul and then with David, and in particular with Solomon, we will see a righteous king established. There's more promises fulfilled. And so we see in the Old Testament many promises fulfilled. And then we come to the New Testament. We come to Galatians 4 which says, well, I'm going to paraphrase it. God says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Very, very clearly, we see this. And all of God's promises are found in the son. So when we think about the son, his birth, his life, his sinless life, his death, his vicarious, we might say. Vicarious means through another person or on, moving to in the place of. Christ died in someone else's place. He laid down his life on the cross and he died for sinners very clearly. And so if you trust, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, then as we always say, his righteousness is given to you and your sin is given to him. And we think about his Again, his life, his sinless life, and his death. And then we move on right after that. What did he do after three days? He rose from the dead. Very clearly rose from the dead. Then what did he do after that? He ascended back to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God. And the Bible says until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And then, but right after he ascended, what did he do? Then he sent who? the Holy Spirit, to indwell us. And so the New Testament proclaims Jesus is the true prophet, he is the high priest, and he is the 
righteous king who is ruling now. And Abraham and all of the Old Testament saints, by faith they look forward to Christ. We see that in John 8, 56. Jesus says that about Abraham. He looked forward to my day and he rejoiced. That's like greeting them from afar, okay? Abraham greeted Christ from afar. Moses, we see there in eleven twenty six, he considered the reproach of, why doesn't it say God there? It says Christ. He, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward so Moses, all of them were looking forward to this fulfillment, okay? All of the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ. That's truth number one. Truth number two, when we think about our reward as well. Our reward is Christ himself. Again, it's easy. We know this already, but let's spend a couple minutes thinking about that. In the context of Hebrews, the writer is telling them they have... He tells them, already, we, we forget sometimes we're just here with faith and we're repetitive and we're going through, but we forget everything that's come all the way before. But he tells them, those Hebrew Christians, you've already come to Christ, the great high priest, and he is the eternal God who took on flesh. Look over at chapter 12, verse 22. One page over in mine. 1222, but you have come to Mount Zion. So he's talking to those Hebrew Christians, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So he's saying, you've come to a city, okay? The heavenly Jerusalem. So here he is saying, you've come to the heavenly city. And then if you move down a couple more verses. Look at verse 24. The writer equates coming to a city with coming to who? To Christ. Look at verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And so if we think about what Jesus says about himself in the Gospels... Jesus tells those who are listening to him in Matthew 12. He tells, especially the religious leaders, he says, something greater than Jonah is here. Then he says to them, the same sentence there, something greater than Solomon is here. And then, (laughs) that's not enough. Matthew 12, 6, he tells them something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is speaking about himself. He, I mean, if we go back to Hebrews 1, we read it often. Verses 2 and 3, the writer says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is saying to them, do not go back to the old system, the new has come. God is with you, your sins are forgiven. There is no other sacrifice ever 
He is the final sacrifice. There never will be another sacrifice. And he says the great high priest, which is Hebrews, what he's been saying, he is the great high priest. And he is also not just the great high priest. He is the offering. And in Christ, we could say that God is building a heavenly city. I think the Bible teaches that. We can go into other places where he's building his church for sure. So my point about this truth is here. When you come to Christ in this context, you come to the city of God. And this is an amazing truth. Okay? That's truth number two. So truth number one, all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. Truth number two, Christ is our reward. Truth number three, even though all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ, now for us, this is now moving it forward, okay, to the New Testament, even now we still wait for the consummation of all things. When I read the New Testament, I see that we still wait for all of the enemies of Christ to be put under his feet. We are in that time now. We are waiting for that to happen. Look over at Hebrews 13, 14. Make sure that's right. Hebrews 13, 14, yes. Says, the author says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now this is very interesting because three other times in the book of Hebrews, we've seen the author use the word city. So he used it four times in the book of Hebrews. First three times, he's speaking about the Old Testament saints looking forward to a city, a heavenly city. And we know this city came, as we've just seen the last few verses that I've read, we know this city came in Christ. Because he says, if you've come to the holy city, if you've come to Christ, okay? In other words, God came down from heaven in the person of the Son. His name is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That's why we don't go to the temple anymore, okay? He tells the woman at the well, you know, there's coming a day when we will not worship on this mountain or on that mountain, but we will worship every, all the nations will worship on whatever mountain because of what has happened in his coming and his giving of the spirit. Even today, he dwells with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 14 says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So, in the Holy Spirit, we have the down payment for what is to come. However, the blessings of God's reward to His people in Christ are still, we can say, they look forward, we look back, we have them in Christ, but we still look forward. And here in verse 14, the author says for the first time, we, where he puts himself in the same categories as those looking forward to a city that is to come. Because when I see and I look around in this world, Satan is still very active. I struggle with my sin. 
Do you struggle with your sin? Of course you do. So many things you're wanting to put to death and you're wanting to walk in a better manner and you're struggling. You're not just struggling with your sin. You're struggling with your spouse's sin or your children's sin or your friend's sins or your boss's sin. We are struggling because we live in a world where sin still remains. Death also is still around us. Scott mentioned how many, 20,000, it's probably going to go up higher than that. 20,000 in Turkey. Please continue to pray for our brothers and sisters there and for those that, that can hear the gospel, but pray for them. And I'm hoping as a church, by the way, that we can do something monetarily as well in the days going forward. So, but please keep praying. But death is still around us. This means that we are still waiting for the final return of Christ, for the final judgment, consummation, the new heavens, and the new earth. And I just pulled up, Caleb, if you want to put it up on, our, on the thing, this is our, our confession, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, which some of us read it, read it this morning. Um, this is number 18, so Jimmy, here you go, number 18 for next week. This is, this is our confession concerning looking forward, okay? Of the world to come, we believe that the end of the world is approaching. That at the last day, Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution. That a solemn separation will then take place. That the wicked will be judged, or adjudged, good word there, to endless punishment. The righteous to endless joy and that this judgment will fix forever the final state of men in heaven or hell on principles of righteousness. I believe in the timeline of God's plan of redemption, all we wait for now is his final coming and for the consummation of all things. Now, where you're at on eschatology, we may disagree on certain things, you're premillennial or amillennial or postmillennial or on all these different issues, but this we can agree on. We are still in the time where Christ is still making his enemies his footstool. And what do we do in the meantime? By faith, we persevere. Faith perseveres as we wait, still wait. That is why they're the groaning of creation in Romans 8. I believe it comes right down to us. It will be the day that, we, that, that what will happen? Our faith will be sight. We still have faith now. Why do you think it will go away one day, as Paul says? Faith will be sight. We wait for that day. What about hope? We hope, but one day hope will be no more because it will be realized. We will see our reward in full. If we think about it, the promises of God all the way going through and coming to an end one day with the new heavens and the new earth. There are a lot of things I don't understand there and a lot of questions I have, but that is coming. That is coming. And again, what is our reward? We often just think of heaven, whatever that is, whatever you think that is. And we could speak more to that on another day. But our reward is still God himself. 
Christ. That is our reward. I can't imagine, I just can't think, what a glorious thought to think that Christ is our reward. And so to put our mind on things that are heavenly, where should our mind be? What should we be thinking of? We should be thinking of what the Bible tells us and who we know Christ to be by faith. And we should be thinking about the heavenly things. And we're going to come to that in our application in just a minute. But our reward is God himself. At the end of the day, who has revealed himself in the Son. This is why we can say again that God is our reward. So there are two truths. Faith perseveres and faith looks forward again to a reward. Though that was a big one, I know. But here's some applications for us. First application, this comes from the text as well. As if you are a Christian today, as his child, you are special to God. God is not ashamed to be called your God. Look at verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called. In other words, those who are looking forward by faith, looking unto Christ, and now we have Christ by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> those who do that, God says, for those people, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. So if you are in Christ today, if you are a Christian, you are special. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God love everyone? I would say, yes, absolutely. Second question, does God love everyone the same? And there is great mystery here because God, we just tend to think in love in just one way. But what do you do with a verse like, like John um, 1.12, which says, for those who received him, he gave to them the right to be children of God. <laughs> what do you do with that? You, we, we think about, you know, going back in, in Hebrews 11 there. It says that Enoch was commended. <laughs> um, and, and we see that Abraham was commended. And we see that Abel was commended. In other words, there's something about people with faith. God sees them as special and he's not ashamed. And the reason he's not ashamed to be called their God, if we think about what we have in Christ, is because all, all of our sin has been done away with. And he can look at us in Christ who is perfect and he's not ashamed. But for those who are not in Christ, their sin is still held over them, for the wrath of God is real, revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And so, very clearly, the Bible teaches that God has a special love for His children. This means that if you have received the Lord Jesus, if you've believed in Him, as the Bible says, if you've looked upon Him, if you are following Him, if you are God's if you, if you have faith in him, you are God's child now and you are special. That's one application. Another application. This has been coming out throughout. But when we live different than the world, we make it clear that we are seeking something better. We see that 
here in the verses. A better country they were looking for, a heavenly one, a city prepared by God. And it says they were strangers and aliens in the land. So when the Canaanites saw Abraham and his family live, what do you think, what do you think they thought? Man, this is different. This is very different. Why are they living so differently? Well, verses 13 and 14. They were looking forward to that city. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak like this make it clear they are seeking a homeland. So when you look at Abraham's life, there is no doubt where he stands. He lived as a stranger and as an exile in Canaan. Now, I do not understand, nor do I have all the answers to all the specifics of what is to come for us. But for us right now, one thing is very clear. Because of faith and the promises of God, we live differently. We live godly lives. So, when your neighbors and your co-workers and parents, when your kids see how you live and how you act and the decisions you make, would they say there's something about them that is heavenly? Are they looking forward to a city? Is there a difference? The Bible speaks a lot about the world. First John, clearly, the world and not the world, all of these things. Where are you at? We must remember, well, if we are in Christ, we do not lay up for ourselves treasures on the earth. We lay them up in heaven and we act and live differently. Another application. To persevere and to, and to wait for our final reward, the end, final coming, consummation of all things, now is to follow Jesus. It's not really hard, brothers and sisters. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Can it be any more clear than that? Are you following? Are, are we following individually in our families? Are we following him as a church? Are we coming after him, denying ourselves, taking up his cross? And when we continue following Jesus in this life, who sits where? The right hand of God, ruling even now, we live by faith. Another application just follows what we've already been saying. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says, seek those things which are where? Above, above. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, this is our big application. Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Here's the application again. Seek the things which are above. So how do you do that right now, tomorrow, this week, next week? How do we do that? If then you have been raised with Christ... Speaking of us having the Holy Spirit, as Christ is risen from the dead, we've been given new life. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians I think 5.17. So if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here's practically what he's telling them to do. The next verse is there. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So here's the earthly things, guys. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. So there's a difference in the way I know that I can look at my life. I walked one way, and then I started walking by the grace of God another way. Now, it's not that we don't struggle. It's not that we don't sin. And it's not that we don't fall into sin. But through it all, there is faith looking forward <laughs> to those promises in Christ. And there is a spirit, a heart of repentance always. In these you too once walked when you lived, when you were living in them, but now you must, you must put them all away. Anger gets into some other things here. Not just anger coming out of your mouth on, in the car or at work. And all of these go to the heart. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the whole process of sanctification. We are being made new. We are new in Christ, but we are being made new. Final application, or maybe just a truth to help us think about the promises of God going through this timeline of history centering on Christ, but there is always, some people don't like this, this, the way this is said, but there's always an already, but a not yet. There's always a tension. In their time, with Abraham, Christ had not come. The true prophet, priest, and king had not come yet. They had pictures, and they had shadows, as Hebrews tells us, of the one that is to come and the promises that are to come. But by faith, they still saw him from afar, okay? They saw these promises from afar. And then we go forward to where we are now. And we look back 2,000 years when the time was right. God sent forth his son. And we look back upon the person and work of Christ. And the gospel has come to China Grove and Kannapolis and Landis. And we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit. And God is working and building towards that one day, the new heavens and the new earth. God is working in that way. But we look back because we know that all of the promises that will come in the future are still fulfilled where? In Christ. And we look back. And now... Paul says in Ephesians that we are seated where? With him in the heavenly places. Already. It's not saying you will be seated. He says you're, you're seated already. But then we look 
and there's still more to come, which is what I spoke about a minute ago, with Satan still roaming and death still all around us and our struggles and our, we want sin to be no more. And so we look forward. So by faith, we look forward to his final coming and the completion of the new heavens and the new earth, which, by the way, has already begun with the resurrection of Christ and is happening now even through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we still wait. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, I'm going to end with this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in summary, faith perseveres. And we're going to see this. It'll come up again next week, I'm sure. But faith perseveres. And though we have come to Christ and to a city now, we wait for the consummation of all things and even a future reward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these words. Thank you for Christ, most of all. For God, you so loved the world that you gave your only Son, begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, I know there are a lot of things here in this text that were maybe a little bit difficult today, and I know it was, it was a lot, but I pray that we would hear and understand just one thing from the sermon that might help us this week. But most of all, we need Christ. I pray that we would find Him more beautiful and that in the coming days you would allow me and us to see more beauties and that we would preach more beauties Father, we cannot, <clears throat> our, our, so many things we don't understand, but Father, you are good to us. And I pray that you would help us this week to persevere and to continue on in faith. In Jesus' name, we, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.